So what's up, Soul Sanctuary? I greet you in the name of His Imperial Majesty, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has created all things seen and unseen, the one who is above and beyond all of our comprehension, the one who is 100% God, 100% man, unintermingled, un united in one person eternally uh, as the slain lamb who is the only way to God, and it's in His name I greet you. To all the others who have no clue what I've said, that was a hello. Yes, to make it easier, hello saints, hello sinners, that's the easy way, yeah. Glad that you're here. Next week we have baptisms taking place, it's still not too late to sign up. Also, in October we have our school of ministry starting. Go out, go out, and uh, the Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28, it's been conveniently ignored by our modern North American churchianity. And so we have somehow translated going to all the world as go into our driveway, into our garage, close it quickly, and don't talk to your neighbor. So this whole go out is a course. It's a few weeks, I think it's four weeks. It revisits the foundation of evangelism, of making disciples, baptizing, teaching people. It encourages us to boldly live our faith, not to be religious jerks, but citizens of, citizens of the kingdom of heaven who operate with an urgency like the apostles. So I want to encourage as many people as possible to sign up for that, and you can check it online. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I haven't done any prayer postures for a while, so in consistent with your level of comfort, I'm going to invite you to lift your hands to the Lord as an act of surrender, as an act of openness for receiving from the Holy Spirit this morning, and allow me to pray. Father, we lift our hands to you and we ask you to perform open-heart surgery in this place this morning. Thank you that you're an amazing God and that you do something amazing. You do amazing things in our hearts. So thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have left us, who leads us into truth, who teaches us, who clarifies your word for us, and leads us to repentance and gives us encouragement. So Holy Spirit, speak to us and impress upon our hearts what you know we need. So individually and corporately, we need to hear from you, to experience you, and I pray that you would enable us and empower us to pause thoughts, then pressures from this week, just to hear from you. We pray this and do this for your glory and your joy. Amen. You may have your seat. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at who we are as a church. It's our vision and uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at Soul Sanctuary being a place of refuge, um, attractive buzzword for many people. You know, it's the starting place, it's the place of the journey, it's the coming in, it's the entry level, and it's in a community where you can feel refuge, where you're supposed to feel safe. And I talked about the importance of us gathering regularly during that life lesson. Last week, we looked at repair. Um, or healing, and, and we have to remember that the same thing that God wants to do in this giant universe, he wants to do in you and me. He wants to put us back together again. He wants to repair that which is broken, and uh, so that we're not feeling busted and broken up, um, but rather we can move ahead and overcome the hurdles in our lives, the hurts in our lives, the habits, the hang-ups. And if you miss those, I want to encourage you to go back and to listen and, or watch the podcast and get caught up so you understand who we are as a community. The vision of soul is to be a community of spiritual refuge for all people. It's very clear. A community based in the grace of God that facilitates repair for those who are hurting in all areas of life and a community that rejuvenates, that equips, and that empowers people to fulfill their God-given destiny because we believe that God has something special for each and every one of us. And so we acknowledge the fact that everybody's on a spiritual journey. We acknowledge the fact that we're on this path, but we're not all in the same place of the path, and that's okay. So when we gather together, we are a community that's open to all people but at the same time, we should be focusing our re efforts at reaching unchurched people. That's who we are. That's what we're about. We want to be a church that's known for its love, for its friendship, and for its community. And to do this, we do it through the teachings of the ancient truths of the Bible. And, and we want to live this out consistently in our lives, in the things that we say, the things that we do. And so simply put, we as a community, when we gather together, we desire to be real with ourselves 
We want to be real with others, and we want to be real with God. And I believe that we have absolutely every resource that we need to reach the people God has called us to reach today. And I believe that God has placed soul in this city, and we're responsible to reach it for Christ however we can. And so we have this message. It's an encouraging message. It's a rejuvenating message, the message of the gospel. And it's this good news that comes from Jesus that is life transforming. It's invigorating. It's rejuvenating. And we're called to to share it as individuals to others. But we also realize that not only do we spread it around, we need each other in this process. And the church... uh, um, what we also recognize is that here at the church, it's just not about us. It's not just about me. It's not just about my preferences. It's not just about you. It's beyond us. We're all in this together. And the church was designed to be full of relationships. Not just the plastic, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. But true relationships where people are actually committed, devoted to each other and are able to have those heart-to-heart talks. Romans 12 says, Be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, keeping our spiritual fervor while serving the Lord. Well, being devoted means to being a part of a real relationship. That means being committed to one another. When I'm committed to somebody, I want to see them improve. When I'm committed, I, uh, not only do I want to see them improve, I want them to know that we're in it together. So when they hurt, I hurt. When they're excited, I'm excited. And part of being devoted, especially as Paul's writing here, it means that we're connected. That we have to take a risk and we have to step out. And so what is this, where does all this lead us today? Well, let me explain. Today, we see Seoul as a community that helps people grow in their relationship with Christ and others. We love God and we love each other. That's the rejuvenation key. We set up environments for us to help grow and deeper and and get deeper in our understanding of who God is, but also in our relationships with one another. Because relationships are a very big deal, both on the inside and on the outside of the church. As a matter of fact, relationships are actually instrumental in the success in our lives. When you think about it, whoever you surround yourself with will affect your future positive or negative. And, and relationships can sort of like be ships. They can be good or bad. It all depends on who's the captain of your boat, who is taking you to the places, where are they leading you, where are they steering you. In our relationship with God, there are, are, should be healthy relationships where he is the captain of our boat and he's encouraging us and, and bringing people alongside that are beneficial to us. And our relationships need to be healthy. They need to be beneficial. They need to be encouraging. Our relationships Relationships need to be life-giving, but it's not always that way. So here at Seoul, we actually want to encourage people to get involved. We have these things called life groups, small groups, whatever you want to call it. There are, there are a group of people who meet at homes, and it's interesting. We have all different types. Those who meet at homes, here at the church, restaurants, cafes, some in businesses, wherever they get together, the majority of them probably watch some sort of teaching, and they build relationships. One group even, all they do is they get together and eat. They literally, that's, that's what they do. They pick a theme, everybody cooks. They just make it happen. And many lasting relationships are formed in those groups. So why you, you might be sitting there going, well, why life groups, Jerry? Well, you know, can't I just have my, my relationship with Jesus and go to church and then go home and, and read my Bible? After all, you know, it, it's a personal relationship with Jesus anyway, Jerry. I, why do I have to hang with people? Why should I hang with people? Jerry, I don't like people. People get on my nerves, you know. They're hard to deal with. You know, people have mood swings. They go through different stages of life that I can't relate to. Some are getting married. Some are having kids. Some are in menopause. And the list goes on and on and on. And you never know what you're going to get when you open your door and people walk into your house. Jerry, life is difficult as it is. Never mind adding somebody else's issues to my world. Why should I do that? I'm having enough issues with my family. Never mind having somebody else's familiar stuff on my plate. Why? And you all said, amen. Yeah. There's something very valuable about relationships. Because if all we ever do is come to a church and hear a message, which is something that we must do and must make a priority. I said that earlier. We're not only a priority, but consistent in coming to church as a necessity for our growth, 
but you should come and hear. That's the importance. We come, we hear, we honor the word of the Lord. We, we listen, we are shaped, and we grow, and we're challenged. But something happens when you add the power of relationships that you can't get just by coming, sitting, attending, and watching on a podcast or on a live stream. You need, I need, we need people. We, by nature, are built for relationships. And here's the reality, people. This is the fact. We are no good on our own. You and me, when we're left to our own, we actually do dumb, stupid stuff. When nobody's watching, we do dumb, stupid stuff. We either maybe think too high of ourselves, or we think too little of ourselves. We might make ourselves to be some sort of superstar that we're really not when we're talking about ourselves, or we make ourselves out to be something less than invaluable, like a good for nothing, when that's really not what God sees for us either. So we need people in our life, and that will shape us. That begins to mold us. That begins to challenge us. That begins to sharpen us, and and it begins to even help us be who God sees us to be when we have people alongside of us. And the Bible talks about this. We need other relationships in our lives because it's how we're created. If we go back to Genesis chapter 2, and this is where I want to start, I want to go back to the creation of male and female, but there's some universal insights in this passage that we need to take away with this morning. First of all, it's in this passage, after all of creation, everything God has been calling good, and he turns around, he looks at Adam, and he says, it's not good for this guy to be alone. You think about that. This is the first thing that God says in scripture that is not good. Now, if God is looking at his creation and, he's, and he sees that being alone is not good, then we need to take notice and we at least need to look at it and pay attention to what's being said here because maybe God is onto something that we don't really know. When you think about it, it's when we're alone that we do dumb things. It's when we're alone that we make poor decisions. And a lot of what we've done alone, we don't involve anybody else, and we just make it on our own. And usually these decisions that we make on our own um, affect us. You know, a lot of times we don't consult people about our internet usage, do we? Or our dating relationships, or our extramarital relationships, or our business decisions. And the list goes on and on and on. And we do these how? Alone. You see, our society, though, is interesting because it tells us to do stuff on our, uh, by ourselves. We need to do it all alone. You know, you don't need anybody else to help you do anything. You, you can raise your kids alone. You don't need a spouse. You don't need to be married. You don't need the church. You know, you can have a relationship with Jesus alone. You don't need voices in your life. You don't need anybody to tell you what to do. You're smart enough. You're good enough. You don't need anybody else. And what happens now is when you look at our culture, we're raising a generation of young people that feel that they don't need other voices in their life, and they can do it alone. And that's dangerous. And God says it's not good for man to be alone. And and the Bible doesn't say that there will be times where you won't be alone or that there won't be seasons where you're feeling alone. It just says it's not good to be alone. So God goes on and he says he's going to create a helper. And that brings me to my next point is that people need people. You know, first we need God, then we definitely need each other. And the key to, and that's the key to the church where Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. People need people. And so we're conditioned to think in our culture that we can satisfy our need with stuff. Just get a house or get a car or get some more clothes. Get a cat. Cats are terrible animals. Just need to say that. Get, you know, get a dog. I have one if you want. I can actually give it to you for free. Get a snake. Get a motorcycle. You know, go travel. Go get stuff. Satisfy the cravings of our heart, the, this hole that, that alone brings with it, and try to fill it with something. That's what we do. And so God looks at mankind. He says, look, it's not good to be alone, so I'm going to make you a helper that's suitable, a helper that is another human being. And we went from mankind to humankind and from one to two, and, and there's got to be a reason for that. God created a, an actual human being. It wasn't a fictitious one or you know, one that we have a relationship through Facebook 
but rather an actual human being that we can have eye contact with, that we can dialogue, that, that we can bounce ideas off, that we can touch or hug if necessary, and that they can hear and see what I'm saying and how I'm saying it, and they can hear the emotion and inflection in my voice and see my body language, and they don't have to read into anything like you do in a static uh, medium like an email or a Facebook message, but the, the emotion, that only emotions that are the ones that we read into it, but something tangible, something life-giving. So God has this crazy idea that we need other people to help us weigh things out in our lives because we need people in our lives to help us weigh out certain issues because if we are left to our own device, we know that we're going to do something stupid. Right? Or are all you guys geniuses here today? So, you know, God said it's not good for men to be alone, which leads us to the conclusion that people need people. And I need to clarify that it's not just any kind of people. There are the right kind of people, at which point some of you are thinking, oh, what what do you mean by that? Well, if you're going to get help, we have to make sure it's the right kind of help. And some of you might be sitting here, Jerry, I got a bunch of friends, you know. Yes, but are they the right friends? Seriously. I have friends at church. Yeah, well, the, the right friends at church. Well, Jerry, all the people at church, well, they're, they're weird. They're all weird. I, I don't hang with them. I don't want weird friends. Well, that's, that's true. Trust me. I, I feel that way, and I pastor here. You know, my life group's already taking petitions to kick me out. That's a whole other story. So. And the fact is, we need people, and many times we need people very different from us. We have a tendency to want to find and bring people who are exactly like us, but we need people who are very different from us. And it's interesting, uh, Paul writes to Titus, who's a pastor, and he talks about the importance of older men and older women pouring into the younger generations. And Paul knows that the non-believers on the island of Crete, they're watching the Christians there. The church, Titus is pastoring. In fact, many of the people on the island of Crete have never seen a Christian much much less seen a Christian community. And so they're watching these young Christians and these young developing churches on this island. And as they are watching, they're drawing their entire understanding of the Christian God, of the gospel, and of the Christian life based on what they're seeing these young Christians on the island do, based on their behavior. So the non-believers are watching the believers and they're looking at these Christians, basing everything they know about Christianity on what they're watching in these people. And so what Paul does is he tells Titus, he knows that people are watching the church and he also knows that the church needs to live in a certain way that's teaching these non-believers who are watching what truths about God uh, is all about, what the true message of the gospel is all about. In other words, that their lifestyle as believers needs to match up with the message that, that Titus is preaching. And then he goes on to tell Titus who, who he needs to teach. And fittingly, he tells Titus, you, look, it, you need to take these older men in the church. And it says that the older men are supposed to be sober-minded, right? And so this is what the, the older guys should exhibit. Well, it's not talking about being a stick in the mud, really. It means that, uh, that they're there, that they're uh, even keeled, that they, they know about life. He says, he goes on, he talks about self-control. He uses that word many times, which means uh, he needs to get his point across repeatedly. This says self-control is one of those virtues that the Christians on the island of Crete had to exhibit in order to make themselves different from the culture around them. Because the culture around them was not self-controlled in terms of what Paul had in mind here. And so how did... Paul get them to do this. He says, get the older guys to teach the younger guys. He got them in together in relationship. They did life together. There was a mentoring. There was a discussion. There was a shaping. And Paul's not done. He continues on. He says, get the older women uh, to get involved in the lives of the younger women as well. The older women are to be reverent in the behavior, the scripture says. That word reverent means holy. It means more specifically sort of carrying the, the act of a priestess is what he was trying to communicate. Tell the older ladies to practice, the older ladies to practice the presence of God in your lives daily, in your daily activities, in your daily interactions with people. It's interesting. He goes, they, they shouldn't be slanderers and given to much wine. 
What a, that was the island of Crete. Hey, let's all the old ladies get together. Hey, let's gossip and drink. That's exactly what was going on. And he's being very clear in both of these things. It was the culture of the day. It was a popular thing to join into. Slander and polish off two or three bottles all at the same time. And Paul's going on. He says, no, look, as Christians, we need to live differently. Older ladies, help the younger ladies. They're to teach which is good. Train the young women. And this is about the, the type of teaching that happens on a day-to-day basis. When you're around other people, you're able to treat, teach them by example through your conversations. And he's saying, part of the healthy discipleship culture of a church is that the older are intentionally involved in the lives of the younger and they're teaching and they're training them uh, by their lives and by their example. It's doing life together. The church needs each other. People need each other, especially when the world outside is looking at us and God knows the help you need. and And I honestly believe that God lines people up for us. I seriously believe that. He brings people into our lives who will actually challenge us, cause us to grow and develop, and that's what the church is all about. However, there, there's a, a dilemma that if you stay alone long enough, you're going to be left with a choice, and that choice usually is, I need to make a decision because I don't like being alone, so I've got to make a snap decision. <coughs> Sorry. And if you stay in that alone place for too long, and you've already been on your walk with Christ, but if you're staying in that place too long, you're going to revert back. And I, and I believe that we revert back to the places that actually hurt us again. You know, many of us, we have other friends that we can turn to in our life, right? We can go back to our old life. We can go back to our old relationships. You know, maybe some of the people that you used to do life with, some of the people that you used to party with, but it's quite possible that at the end of the day that those relationships could end up putting you right back into the things that you're trying to get out of, right? They're not good for you. Maybe they're not healthy for you. They are not right for you. So now you're forced to make a choice. So when you hear me say people need people, you, you need to understand that you need the right kind of people in our lives. And there are many warnings throughout Scripture as to who we should keep company with. Just begin to go through Proverbs. You will see all the different warnings about who do we hang with? Who do you uh, surround yourself with? 2 Corinthians chapter says, uh, 6 says, Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and the devil? And God is saying that many of us, we've come out of old toxic relationships. Some of us are still in those toxic relationships. But God has spoken to us. He's given us a second chance. He's given us a rejuvenation, a life transformation. He's spoken to our hearts. And he has begun this new journey of life with us. And he's changing us from the inside out. And we realize that God has a plan for us. And he's set out something good for us. But we need to be careful who we surround ourselves with. Who are the voices speaking into our lives so you can embrace the idea that God has something for you, that he's doing something in your life, that he's doing something in your heart. But once you leave this facility, you have a choice. You can choose to to get around people who will pollute you or, or send toxic things into your life to destroy what God is already doing in you. Or you'll find people who will bring to life what God has been able to be speaking, this, this life inside of you. And if you don't get linked up with the right people, it's only a matter of time that you're going to go back to the old you. I see it all the time. People come, they make a profession of faith, something's happened, but they, they just don't surround themselves with the right people, and eventually they just sort of fade back. Your new you cannot live in a polluted environment. Well, Jerry, I don't have to do what all my friends do, and I, I don't have to say what all my friends say, and I don't have to go where all my friends go. Well, that's true, but if you're not careful, that toxic pollution will get you sick, and it will kill off all that God wants to do in your life. You see, what we need is each other to fulfill all that God is doing in our hearts. 
God is speaking something to you directly. I believe that happens last week, this week, the week before. I honestly believe that when we gather together and you hear the word preach, he is constantly speaking about your life. He's speaking about your world. He's speaking about your plans, your dreams that he's put in your heart, your dreams, your visions that you cannot accomplish on your own. Why? Because you need others. And so what happens is that we're aware of something and so we need to fix our lives or we need to fix our relationships. And let's say you know that your marriage is in trouble and God speaks into your, your life about your marriage. And so what do you do? You go home, you try to fix it, right? You do what you can. You might even have a conversation. Might be, it might be very difficult, but it's just not going anywhere. The thing is that if we don't have other people coming alongside of us, knowing a little bit of our business, sharing our burdens, carrying us in prayer, encouraging us, showing us the way, living the example of what it should look like, this marriage, keeping us accountable, helping us put legs on what God is speaking into our lives, it will be only a matter of time before we exhaust all of our options and in utter frustration we shout, I don't even know why I went to church. I don't even know why. I said, I'm sorry, I'm never going to change. You're never going to change. Why does it even matter? You got to hear me out. Because it's not like you, you don't want to change, but you don't have the relationships that will assist you in the change that you need. And that's the importance of the community. And so many times God has sent some help so that we don't have to do this on our own. But sometimes we just choose not to allow people to come alongside of us. We choose not to take any instruction from people. We choose not to allow people to give us hope. We Sometimes the blessing that we want from God, that, that he is speaking to us, comes in the form from other people that he brings into our lives. And you see, if you just show up on a Sunday and you leave and you show up and you leave and you show up and, and you leave, you know, God's speaking to you, but you're never getting the help. And you continue this cycle. And I hate to tell you that that simply Sunday morning life lesson is not going to change your life. It may inspire you, it may move you, it may even start a fire in you, but if you don't add to that fire, if that fire gets no wood, then that wood is actually relationships, that fire is going to die out. And so you have to get some wood to keep the fire burning so you can stay hot when you leave this place. And every week God's speaking something to us. He's saying something to us. He, he plans he wants us to fulfill dreams he wants us to act on businesses that he wants us to start ministries he wants us to take off with and past things he wants us to grow from relationships he wants us to get out of relationships he wants us to develop relationships that he wants us to start new habits that he wants us to grow old habits that he wants us to eliminate there is always something going on and God may be telling somebody you don't need that substance you can live clean and sober and God begins to speak deep down into our heart and we recognize that and we cry out to God as to how tired we are and yet God is looking at us and saying hey listen I'm trying to send you some help it's in the form of a relationship it's in the form right there at soul sanctuary he's sitting right next to you they want to help you through they want to keep you accountable and you can cry all you want but if you don't get in the right relationships in your life that sort of help you and guide you, then it'll be a matter of time that you're back to square one, alone. And we're not created to be alone. But because of our own stubbornness, and, and that's where we find ourselves, because there's this real need for a relationship built in each and every one of us, if we choose, do not choose right, we're going to choose what is left. If we don't choose the right relationship, we will always go back to what is left. Who do I call now? Who's on my contact list? Who's left on my Facebook friends list? If we don't choose the right relationships, we'll always get stuck with what's left. You can be saying, I hear you, Jerry, but listen, listen. If I got Jesus, I don't need people. You know, I got Jesus, I'm going to heaven. Jesus is all I need, and I will say that that's a myth, it's a partial truth, if you want to put it that way. You need to hear me out. Yes, Jesus is absolutely all that we need. 
He's the ticket to our salvation. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He's everything was created through him, for him. He's the ruler of the earth. He's coming back for you. He's going to cleanse you through the washing of the word. It is Jesus who we praise, who we worship, because we, he sacrificed himself for all of our sins, and he deserves all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. But Jesus is not all that you need. It's Jesus plus. He has positioned people throughout the earth as his ambassadors. When you think about it, people who are his representatives. So God speaks to us, to you, to me, through people. God uses people. The entire scripture is based on that. We are the hands and feet of Jesus as believers. We are the visible, tangible ambassadors. We are his voice. We articulate the voice of God as long as it lines up with the scripture. And God is sending people. And those who surround themselves with many counselors is wise. The question we got to ask is, who are you surrounding yourself with? And are they Jesus' ambassadors? There's no successful Christian islands or or Christian lone rangers in the body of Christ. You know, the myth that if I got Jesus, I don't need people. But the truth is, you can't get your healing, the healing that you need, without people. Well, hang on, Jerry, that doesn't sound like scripture. God can heal me. He can forgive me of my sins. Of course he can. You're missing what I'm saying. God will save us. God will forgive us. But we live on earth, and there are consequences to the choices that we make, regardless if we find ourselves saved or forgiven. Feel free, go to Costco after today. Get road rage in the parking lot. Go, punch somebody out. Go ahead, go for it. You're still saved. Call out to God. You're forgiven. That's fantastic. But you're still going to go to jail for an assault. There's consequences to our actions. Steal from Walmart and you get caught. Yeah, you'll be forgiven. There's no problem there. But you're going to have to pay the price for shoplifting. There are consequences in those areas. We still need people to guide us, to direct us, to help us in our relationship. James chapter 5 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I like what the message says. It goes on and says, Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. So who are we to confess to here? Each other. Yes, we confess to God, but our sins here that he's talking about are shortcomings, our tempers, the fact that maybe we're terrible parents to our kids, talking about people behind their back and gossip and anger, our inability to tell the truth. Uh, and, and those moments when we get, back, get together and often and have relationships, we're actually able to talk back and forth. We can share our stuff. We can be open. We can be vulnerable. We can live together in that process. And as we live together in that process, and as somebody says, you know, I've been struggling in this, and somebody else steps in and goes, yeah, I have too, but this is where I've been going. And somebody else said, yeah, but a while back I have too, but this is where I've been going. And all of a sudden there's this accountability, there's this growing, and we begin to confess in that way, and we begin now to live whole and healed. God forgives us, but we need relationships to help lift the burden that the enemy places on us. You know, we come on a Sunday and we leave feeling good, but then we go back into the world and we're bogged down by all the bad. Then you come back on a Sunday and, you know, you're feeling bad and I have to preach a great message and it gets you feeling good and then you got to go back again into that world and what happens, you start feeling bad and then we repeat the cycle over and over again. But yet that's not how God wants us to live. We all need people in our life. The, the healing that you need could be sitting in your row today. Think about that. 
It could be sitting on the other side of this auditorium. It could have been in the first gathering. You passed them on the way in or out. Maybe you passed them at coffee. You just can't say, I got Jesus and I'm good, or I got Jesus and my wife and I'm good. No, listen, we need Jesus. We need our spouse. We need a couple friends, married friends, others. And personally, I need as many people praying for me as possible. The enemy doesn't want us to win. So you and I, as believers, walk in the face of this earth. We need as many people as possible to guide and shape our lives. Now, now the key as to why this is important. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, but lasting change happens in circles. And think about that. Lasting change happens in circles and not rows. It's in a circle. When you go out with people, when you have them over, do they sit like this? Come to my house and let's have a, come sit down. No, no, we sit around the table, square, oval, round, it doesn't really matter. Sit around the living room, it's all in a circle. And it's in that circle what takes place is a dialogue. Something happens in that circle. There's this back and forth. And right now as you're sitting in rows, and yes, I'm talking and some of you are agreeing, but there's no back and forth going on. You're not able to talk or ask a question where we all can interact. Rather, this is truly one directional. You're all filtering the info that I'm sharing with you and and how you want to filter it, which is interesting, based on your life experience and how you want to believe if you agree or disagree or how you see this played out in your own personal worldview. It's all coming at you, but you now determine whether or not it's going to get in you. You have your barriers up. I don't want to hear from them. Whatever you have to say. You're filtering that. You know, I can maybe shift your thinking with a stellar message every once in a while, or, or I can even help you or maybe even change you to some degree. But lasting change happens when you get in a group of people and you start talking about what has happened inside of you and where God begins to make his play on you. And as you begin to talk, and, and lasting change happens in this circle, and not this row, and you have a group of people that can cheer you on, and that who can do this, and that are behind you, and they're praying for you. And it's hard for us to tell people our issues and our problems, because in our culture, that, you know, we think we look weak. But then we need to get a bunch of people that we trust, godly people that we can trust. And until we can make it a common practice of confessing to one another, we won't be healed. We won't be whole. But the moment we do that, it's not that our problem will disappear, but rather we just add other people to the equation to help us conquer the problem. And it has to happen in a circle. Now, if you just come to soul and leave, it's only a matter of time that you're going to grow stagnant because the change that God is trying to do won't last. I honestly believe that. That's religion. I just come and go, I do my thing, I sit. Now listen, I'm not forcing you to get into a group. I'm not forcing you into relationships. But I will say this, you would be a fool not to because you'll not survive on your own. And so maybe you're thinking that the church is full of clicks. You know, Jerry, the church is full of clicks. I tried, but everybody's in a click. Well, let me verify you. God's all into clicks. Yeah, when he started this thing, he had like this nation of Israel. There was 12 tribes in that. That was 12 clicks. You know, one big one, well, you know, he was set it aside. You break it down a little further in the New Testament, Jesus, he had his 12. That was his click. That was his type. Even within the 12, he had three guys he was tight with. That's what it was. You need a click. You need to find a click. You need to make a click. Maybe your click's a tech team or a teaching team or a parking lot team or worship team. Maybe it's a bunch of people, like I said, who get together and just eat. You know, maybe you read a book or maybe you work out or lift weights or or, because it's two different things, you know, cardio and everything else. I'm just saying because I know, because I'm stellar, because I dream about it all the time. What about the golf course? Because even on the golf course, you can confess a whole lot of sins. Trust me, happens all the time. But you need a click. You need five, six, seven people who know your life that, that you're going to be a friend with and that everybody, you know, you're not going to be a friend with everybody, but you need to be a friend with somebody. 
They say that even in a church of 40 people, that you will not know everyone. So why do people come to a church our size and expect to get to know everyone, including the pastor? Why do we put crazy pressure on the church to fulfill our friendship and relational needs? When the church already has something natural within it that we just need to tap into. And that we need, in order to get friends in our lives, we need to be a friend. We need to be friendly. We need to get out of our comfort zone. We need to take that first step. Some people want the attention of the pastor. Oh, pastor, I need you to be my friend because every church I go to, the pastor is my best friend. Listen, I can't be that for you. I have a group of people I surround myself with. You need to understand that there should be a group of people who will naturally be there for you, naturally care for you better than I ever could. And they want to. And so the big question is then why should I? Why should I? Why should I get connected? Why should I develop relationships? Well, I honestly believe that there'll come a point in your life where you may be able to say, nobody was there for me. There may come a moment in your life when a loved one is lost, and you're going to say, I've been going to church all this time, and not one person from the church called me, not one person visited me. Maybe something else difficult happens in your life or with your kids or another family members and you don't know what to do and you're scrambling and all of a sudden the enemy begins just to speak into your heart. He goes, you, you, you go to that church and no one talked to you and they're supposed to be Christian. Maybe you hit a bump or you have some difficulties in your marriage and you're going to have an issues that are coming up and maybe like a doctor's report's coming down the pipe and that report hits you and your family really hard. And what happens is that you, you turn around and you're begging for people to pray for you and yet you have no one in your phone that you can call because you just thought that coming and going out was, was good enough. All of us think we can do it on our own until the moment comes when we can't. You know, I don't need the church or, or Jesus or people. Well, you know what? Sometimes we all feel that way until the situation comes when we just can't do it on our own. And if you don't plant it now, you're not going to have it later. Some of you may be thinking, well, you don't need it because you know, you're not going through anything. I, I'm good. I'm not going through anything. But I need to tell you that you need to plant it now because there will become a, a season that you wish that you've had people around you. If you don't do it now, you won't have it then. You may have a great marriage now, but what happens when it doesn't get so good? What then? I know everything's going good now, but what happens if it's not good then? I know you don't feel like giving up now, but what happens when you feel like giving up then? If you don't plant it now, you won't have it. Then, that's a Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Today. Don't wait another week. Don't wait a month. Don't wait a year. It's now. And so the reason why we stress this at soul is because godly relationships will help, help you from breaking. It may not prevent you from completely breaking, but it will help you from breaking. Ecclesiastes talks about the importance of three strands. Being alone means you can be easily defeated. Isn't that interesting? But add a second and, and you got each other's back, but you add a third and now you become harder to defeat. It's not easily broken. So with the right people in our lives, it's, it's harder to break on uh, your commitments. It's harder to give up on your marriage. It's harder to give up on your kids. It's harder to go back to your addictions. And the list goes on and on. It does, still doesn't mean we can't choose stupid. Trust me, I see it all the time. But we need people around us to walk with us, to encourage us, to support us, to speak into us, to, to cry with us, to laugh with us, to encourage us, and to rejuvenate us. That's what it's about. And so I'm going to give you a takeaway today. i got three life hacks that you can do right now to start building relationships in the church. So this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to ask Take a look at the people around you. Actually, take a look at the people around you, not just the ones sitting next to you, and I know some people are miles away from each other, but try to look deep into somebody's eyes, okay? Can you do that? Just look and, and like, look, stare them into their soul. Yeah, okay. 
Here's the easy thing. Ask, ask a person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you. Ask somebody to go out for lunch. Go out for dinner, for, go out for coffee. Let me make this really, really, don't say anything. Just let me make this very easy for you. Just make the eye contact. Now, you're making eye contact. Some of you are going, no way. There's no way. Others of you are going, hey, girl, you heard the pastor. You heard the pastor. It's coffee day time. You might get married. If so, just let me know. But maybe it's not the person sitting next to you. Maybe it's somebody else in this room who's trying to live life and figure this thing of life just like you. But we need to find someone. Go to lunch. Go to coffee. Go to dinner. Take the initiative. Let me make it really easy. Find a place that's easy. If you've got kids and family, go to McDonald's. Do a family day. Let the kids go wild. And, and adults, just get to know somebody. Do something with somebody you haven't done before. Make it clear. It's Dutch. You're not, nobody's buying for anybody. And if you can't afford Moxie's or the keg or wherever else, but all you can afford is McDonald's or Wendy's, then do that. Just do a coffee. Go to Tim's. Uh, sorry, I got it out. Go there. Keep it simple. Keep it cheap. But just get to know. Just get to talk. Go out for, with somebody. Because if you sit back and you wait, it will never happen. And most of the times, 99% of the time, we have to be the one who takes the initiative. The second thing to do is to join a group. Join a life group. Outside we have a display where Pastor Jordan is. You can sign up. You can join a group. You can offer to host a group, offer to lead a group. We will tra- train you. It's easy. It's easy. It's all done for you. Right, Kent? It's all done. We just plug and play a video, watch and talk. We just make it happen. Right now, we have well over 20 groups and growing, uh, and there's always room for more. So there's a place to get plugged in. And finally, if you don't want to do any of that, then I just look at this way. I said, just get involved. Just serve. Because simply by serving, it's just another way to connect with people. You begin to, to get to know people that. And usually it's very subtle, you know, with the way that you're doing life with them. You begin to know each other. Because, uh, again, we know we're not too good on our own. But, you know, I have to be honest. I, I, I don't want to see people break. I don't want uh, to see what God is doing in the lives of people to die. We need to get involved. We need to have each other. We need to build one another up and we can do it very easily. Even in the parking lot, serving coffee, it starts small, starts easy, but you start building relationships. And personally, as a pastor, I want you to win. I want you to succeed. And the only way that will happen is if you attach yourself to another helper, another human, and that will help you be and do all that God desires for you to be and do. Why? Because Eric Samuel Tim said it when he was here a while back. We are better together. And so maybe you're here today and the first relationship that comes to your mind when I'm talking about relationships is all about Jesus. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you or you're sitting there thinking, you know, Jerry, I'd love to start. I need to start something in my life, maybe with Jesus. I'm not good on my own. I'm tired of feeling broken and hurt and beat up. And I'm reminded of the things that I've done. And I need a change. I need forgiveness. I need healing. I just need Jesus to come into my life and to change me. If that's you, as it was in the first gathering, God is speaking to you. I'm going to ask you to do something with me in just a few moments. But for the rest of us, I I leave it back into your hands to take the initiative, to, to be a friend, to get a friend, to ask somebody out, to join a life group if you're not already in one, to, to just even get involved in some sort of ministry, the ministry of stacking and moving chairs. At the end of every gathering, you have no clue how important that is. But do something when you walk out of here today. Let's pray. If you believe that God is speaking to you and that that you are needing life change and you want me to pray for you, and when I mean this, I'm saying you're asking Jesus to come into your heart to be Lord of your life, just put your hand up and down real quickly. And I want to pray with you. Just repeat after me, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. Help me to live for you. To love you all the days of my life. Jesus, thank you that today I'm new, I'm changed, and I'm forgiven and free.
Help me in my walk, I pray. Amen. I pray for every hand that was risen. I pray that God would do a work in you that only he can do, and I truly believe that today is a new beginning and a fresh start is right now. God, the old has passed, the new has come, and may we leave here to know that you are for us and not against us. Help us to establish new relationships. Help us understand that we need to connect with some people so that they can live with what God is doing inside of them. And Lord, I thank you that no matter where we have been and what we have done, that you're willing to accept us and that your forgiveness and mercy are extended to us so that whatever mess we've made of our lives in the past, you're inviting us into an amazing new future. So God, we ask more than just a blessing, but your guidance and strength to walk this life. And I ask that you would put people in our path to guide, put people in all of our paths to encourage, to edify and rejuvenate our walk with you. So stir in our hearts in the areas and the giftings that you've given us so that we may not only see this place flourish, but we would see life transformation in the lives of many people that you have placed in our path. Lord, give a glimpse or a vision of your kingdom coming and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven, I pray in your name. Amen. Stand with me, please. In ancient times, people practiced hospitality. So do yourself a favor. Take a step. You're about to go out. You're about to rub shoulders with people. I encourage you to invite people to a restaurant, to invite them to your home. Oh, a restaurant's probably safer because you don't know what kind of psychotic person you have in your home. And if they're truly psychotic, let me know, and we'll put a picture up, and we'll know that, and we'll mark that for our security team. One of the things that we're going to do is... Uh, I was cleaning out some old files, and I came across this uh, guess who's coming for dinner, guess who's coming for coffee things. And it, and it was great because we had this opportunity where people would be, uh, somebody would open their house, they would host, and other people would come in. You wouldn't know who's walking into your door, and we would try to mix and match people. And for some cases, it was great. It was fantastic. In other cases, it was totally chaotic. It's fun. Welcome to church. We're a, mess, we're a bunch of messy people. But that's what we're going to do again. We're going to actually help people to get connected, help people to get involved, help people to build those relationships. But the rest really falls onto you to take the initiative. And so people, in ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hand for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. Here's my blessing for you today. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, May he make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. And may he put people in your life to guide you, to encourage you, to rejuvenate you, and to push you on in the dreams that he has placed deep within your hearts. And may you, my friends, this week go out and practice rejuvenation in Winnipeg in very specific and tangible ways. May his peace be with you, and now go and live the church. See you next week.